Hey, good morning and welcome to Regen. Uh, we're so glad to have you here this morning. Um, someone said to me this morning, I'm dressed like spring. I'm just trying the approach that if I dress for it, it will happen. So we'll just see if it works, um, at least today maybe. Um, but here at Regen, we are passionate about interrupting people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. And so we just hope that this morning through the songs that we sing, through the preaching of the word and just our time together, that um, you will feel interrupted and you will experience his um, love and grace. Um, just a few quick announcements. Um, here at Regen, we, um, one of the ways we try to interrupt other people's lives is through our check-ins. And so if you are on Facebook and want to use the hashtag Regen gives. Um, this month that generates a donation to OYO camps, which are for um, deaf and hard of hearing students um, to help them experience um, just community with other people who are walking through some of the same things they are. And then um, our one thing for this month is our Easter egg hunt, and we're super excited about that. It's coming up March 24th, which is a Saturday. We'll be right here. Um, if you're volunteering to help, you need to be here at 1.30. Um, if you're just coming for the egg hunt, that starts at 3. And if you want to sign up to help and you haven't, um, you can see Caitlin. Um, she has the clipboard out there. Um, but we're just looking forward to being able to have a fun day together and to also just bless our community um, with a really fun event and then, um, well, Kyle will talk more about this, but then on Palm Sunday, we'll be having Rodeo the Donkey as well. So it'll be very fun. Um, I think Kyle's more excited than the kids, maybe, about Rodeo. Um, and then today, we are doing um, one of our jump-in events, so one of the ways you can connect um, in, within our community, and it's um, called Discover Your Gift. And so that's just a time for you to um, look into a little more of how God wants to use you to interrupt people's lives. And so... I just, if you are planning on staying for that, if you could just raise your hand so I can order pizza and have enough for everyone, that helps me kind of have a sense, how many behind me are raising their hands? Okay, that just helps me have a sense of how much pizza to order to make sure no one goes hungry. Um, and I think that that's all of the announcements that I have right now, so I'm going to invite Zach up to um, pray for our offering. He's, he's checking in, so he was doing what he was told. <laughs> Father, you truly are our um, only desire, and uh, I ask that you make that more real to us today, um, more real than it has been in days previous, Lord. Um, just let us feel the weight of that relationship that, that you want with us, that father-adopted-child relationship, that we are part of your family, Lord, and, um, and let us understand how to order our lives and uh, our priorities and every other desire that is less than you from that relationship with you, Father. I pray that we as a community can um, continue to grow together um, out of the love that, that we glean from you, Lord, that we glean from uh, the Savior that you've given us, in Jesus Christ, that imitation that we have, uh, that, that, we can, that we can just look at each and every one of us in here, in this room, and our, our friends and family that aren't here, and begin to just mend relationships and, and create new ones. Father, I, I, I thank you for the new people that, that may be here, and uh, I pray for the, the, the new uh, people that are going to be coming on Easter Sunday. Lord, I pray that uh, we can just 
give them something that they've never felt before, and that is you. Um, just, just tie you to them so that when they leave, that you're just, you begin pulling them back. So we thank you for that relationship, Lord, and we pray this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, we... Well, first off, hey, God. God, you are the only sure thing, and uh, we are always trying to give ourselves to things that are not. And so, Jesus, my prayer for us today, um, I guess a few things, is that we would be reminded afresh of how sure you are how trustworthy you are and that the untruths that we believe, the lies that we run toward, no amount of untruth would separate us, that Jesus, you would cut through that and let us see you today. And so, God, we love you and we just want to know you in this place and in this moment. And I ask for your help. God, we need your help. We're tired. We're stressed. We're drawn in a million different directions. And so, Help us to see you um, and hear you in our midst today. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Um, Kids are going to go back with Miss Caitlin for Regen Rangers. So kids, if you're going back, that would be that way. And Caitlin and our team can help you guys get settled. That's going that way. Oh, Taylor's going back too. Hi. Bye, Taylor. Bye. Okay. Okay. My name is Kyle. I get to be the pastor here. So welcome to Regen in our big run up to Easter. Really excited about like the next few weeks. uh, And I just want to kind of let you know about those things. So we're all on the same page. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, uh, which is um, one of the, my favorite Sundays. But we're going to start with that egg hunt on Saturday at three that Steph told you about. And then we're going to do Palm Sunday and Rodeo the Donkey will be here after worship. And if, you, if you've not watched Parks and Rec, you don't really have like a category for this, but we feel about Rodeo the Donkey like the people in Pawnee, Indiana feel about, uh, about Lil' Sebastian. And um, so we're very excited. So you'll be able to take pictures with him. And then um, word on the street is that there will be Nova Donuts. Live appropriately. Um, And then uh, Holy Week, two things to draw your attention to. Good Friday, right here at this location, 7 p.m. on the Friday before Easter. Uh, Good Friday is good because it's the day that we recall uh, Christ's death and reflect on that. And it really gets our heart in the right place to blow up the celebration Sunday morning at 11.15 next weekend. So I'm really, really excited about that. And then I wanted to just share with you and have you put something on your calendar now. We've been talking about it briefly, but I don't want you to miss it. On April 20th and 21st, um, we're having a couples conference here at this location. Um, It is a couples conference. It's not a marriage conference. It's a couples conference. And so if you want to kind of get some vocabulary in your relationship, it would be awesome. We're bringing Bob and Pam McRae, who are actually the doctors, Bob and Pam McRae, who both teach at our undergrad, uh, the Moody Bible Institute. 
Um, and they're going to be here and we're going to do a Friday night and part of the day, Saturday couples conference, Bob and Pam did our pre-marriage. Um, we just love and adore them. And so like this time last year, we asked them to come and they said yes. So that'll be Friday night and Saturday, and we are going to have childcare. So when you register on Eventbrite, uh, you can register to have childcare there. And it's for both of our campuses. We're one church in two locations. And so friends from our Grace campus on the Northwest side will be there. So excited about this. Please mark your calendars. Please plan to come. Please don't millennial out and decide that a movie came out that weekend and that's more fun. Okay? Uh, because I think we, the investment that we put into our marriages and our relationships is huge. So it's going to be really, really, really great. Um, so that's going to be that. We're in the book of Revelation. Let's get back into that. The book of Revelation chapter 3. How many S's are in the end of the word Revelation, church? Zero. You're so smart. Good job. Revelation. Uh, Julia, when is it too early to audition for praise team? Because Frankie's like ready. It's never too early. She was just like the whole time. It was awesome. Um, I love it. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Let me read it. It says this. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. We're looking at verses, by the way, 7 through 13. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. He says, I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength that you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones that I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God, and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God, and they will be citizens in the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven and from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let me pray again real fast here. God, thank you for your word and that these are not just cute little love notes, that they are not just trifles, that they are your words to us. They are our very life. And so Jesus, I pray that we would hear you today and that you would speak to us in the midst of our circumstances through this letter. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. There was a conversation I had this week, and I was expecting it to go very differently. I was expecting a conversation I was having on Monday that would go very differently. I was expecting it to be supportive and collaborative. I was expecting to feel heard and cared for. And what I ended up leaving with was kind of this feeling of not necessarily not being cared for, not being hurt, but being shut out. Of having a door that I thought was going to open up slam in my face. And I've been thinking about how a lot of life feels like a, a closed door. A lot of life feels like something shut when we wish it would be open. We apply for job after job after job, and we hear nothing. We look for the right person, Mr. Right or Mrs. Right. They're nowhere to be found, date after date. Hey, there you go. <laughs> Hallelujah. 
keep waiting. Uh, for we go from doctor to doctor hoping for the right medicine, for the cure, and nothing. We keep seeking for healthier relationship with our family, nothing. It's especially hard, isn't it, when a door that you want to open is opening for everyone else. And here you are knocking and tapping and looking through the the keyhole and trying to, when nobody's looking, pick the lock and it just won't open. Everybody else is getting married. Everybody else is dating and happy. Everybody else has really cute Instagram things with their happy person. Everybody else has really happy family stuff. Everybody else has babies. Everybody else has success. But I am stuck outside this door and we feel locked out. We feel shut out. We feel left out in the cold. And all that we see is the handle. That's it. This feeling of being shut out, of being on the outside, is exactly how the Christians in Philadelphia felt. Philadelphia is the newest, historically, of all of the seven cities that John addresses in his letter. It's number six there. Philadelphia was called the gateway to the east. It was a trading town. It had connections to locations in the Far East outside of the Roman Empire, to China, to India, to Russia, to beyond. It was this letter that John writes the church in Philadelphia is one of seven that he writes. And remember, Danny the intern did a really good job with this last week, that seven is not a literal number, it's also symbolic. So that while John writes to seven churches at one time and place, he's really writing to every church everywhere across all time. But there's something in these letters for us, for you and me. And and these letters are written after John, who is one of Jesus's best friends on earth, gets this vision of Jesus. And he's now, and Jesus is wanting these churches to help them see Jesus in the midst of their circumstance. He wants them to see him in the midst of it. And he wants Philadelphia to see Jesus in the midst of these feelings of being shut out and left out. And the reality is, it's more than just a feeling. They really, really have been shut out. So here's what happened. And after Jesus is resurrected, the early Christian movement did not have a church building to go to. We wouldn't have church buildings as we know them until at least 300. In the early days and the early years after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, what, what most people did was they went to the Jewish synagogue on, sun, on, on the Sabbath. Uh, they heard the Torah read, the Old Testament read. They sang the songs. And with clear eyes, they saw all of this pointing to the Messiah. And then they would leave the synagogue. And at another point throughout the week, they would meet in people's homes. They would break bread together like we do every week. They would share in what was called the koinonia, the fellowship, the family of God. And so this little Christian community uh, bubbles up in Philadelphia like it's doing in all of these cities and around the world at this time. They're going to the synagogue, they're building this together, but, but all of a sudden as opposition begins to build from the Roman Empire toward Christianity, the Jews of Philadelphia want to separate themselves. They want to separate themselves uh, uh, from the Christians. The Jews want to separate themselves from the Christians and so they exile them from the synagogue. The problem at this time in history was they couldn't just drive to the synagogue on the other side of the city. I mean, all of you, when you drove here this morning, drove by, I would guess, five, six, seven, maybe more churches to get to this one building. So when, when the day comes that you decide you don't like me anymore, you can just go somewhere else. You couldn't do that then. To be exiled from the synagogue was to be exiled from friendship, from business connections, even family. It was to be totally cut off. And now these Christians in Philadelphia have been shut out, exiled, and their strength 
is weakening. Look at what what he said in verse 8. He says, you have little strength. This is not a smack. This is not a complaint. Remember how the structure of a lot of these letters in Revelation go, right? Introduction, this is who Jesus is. Here's something you're doing well. Here's something you're not doing. And here's what will happen if you live into it. Not so in this letter. It's like the one to Thyatira or Pergamum or one of the earlier ones. There is no complaint in this letter. It's all good news. When Jesus says, hey, you have a little strength, he's not saying, so like, could you work harder, please? Lazy bum. He's saying, hey, I know that this is hard. He's saying, I know that your will to live is is decreasing by the day. I know that being shut out has only made this worse. And so John, and Jesus writing through John, says this to this struggling, weak, kicked out community. He says, this is the message from the one who is holy and true. The one who has the key of David. What he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. To these weak, tired, shut out, kicked out, exiled, left out in the cold people, Jesus says this, in a world of closed doors, I have opened a door for you that no one can close. In a world of closed doors, I have opened a door for you that no one can close. Jesus says that he holds the key of David, a a symbol of his authority as as a king in the line of the Messiah, in the line of David. His authority cannot be challenged. It actually turns out in the book of Revelation, there's like a lot of keys on Jesus' key ring. In, In chapter 118, it says he has the key to death and the grave. Evidently, next to that key is the the key to the door that no one can shut. And what Jesus says then, 2,000 years ago, is the same thing that he says right here, right now, today, to you and me, I have opened a door for you that no one can close. Why is this good news? Why is it good news that Jesus has opened a door for us that no one can close? As weak as we are, as tired as we are, Dallas Willard says that the point of the gospel is getting into heaven before you die. The point of the gospel is getting into heaven before you die. The way of Jesus is not like I do nice things for the 60, 70, 80, 90 years I get to live on this earth and then the party starts. The way of Jesus is getting into heaven before you die. The way of Jesus is the party starts now. And the way that we live with and love one another, what we sing, what we pray as we study scripture, all of these things is living into a culture of heaven now. Living into a culture of heaven now in the ordinariness of our lives. We don't have to pass through death and into glory in order to experience heaven. Jesus has opened a door so that heaven is something we experience today. It's something we experience presently in Jesus Heaven isn't something for later, it is something for now. The point of the gospel is getting into heaven before you die, experiencing the power and the presence and peace of Jesus. And every situation, a door that Jesus has opened is the door to heaven. Paul says this interesting thing in Romans 14. He says, for the kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking. Which, I mean, somebody once said to me, like, y'all like to eat, 
And I was like, yes, we do. There will be pizza after this. If, if you're new to our community once a month, we have you over to our house for dinner. Like, we're pro-food, right? But the, the kingdom is not in the eating and the drinking. The kingdom, he says, is in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's the kingdom. Here's what's always so interesting to me. A lot of you are new to Jesus, and that's awesome, and I think that's the coolest thing about my life right now. And um, a lot of you are new to Jesus, and when you stepped across the line of faith and I asked you what that was like, you almost all said, I just feel peace. And, and what's interesting is I listened to you talk. It's not that you didn't know that you didn't have peace beforehand, but upon stepping across the line of the faith, all of a sudden you do have peace, and you're like, oh, I know what this feels like. And there is joy and there is righteousness and goodness that you're experiencing every day. The kingdom, which is righteousness and peace and joy, is open to us, open because Jesus has opened a door that no one can close. And listen to me, there is no death, there is no sickness, and there is no cancer that can close that door. Grief, depression, anxiety, they cannot close the door. Singleness cannot close the door. Loneliness cannot close the door. There is no lie. There is no shame. There is no guilt that can close the door. There is no person. There is no circumstance. Hear me on this. There is no failure. There is no mistake that can shut the door. He has opened a door that no one, not in heaven or on earth or under the earth, that no one can close. The door is open for you and for me all of the time. The joy and the peace of the righteousness of the kingdom isn't something for later. It isn't, I'll do nice things, I'll grow old, I'll die, and then, hot diggity, let's go. No, the joy and peace and goodness of the kingdom is for now because of the door that Jesus has opened. I have opened a door that no one can close. This is what Jesus says. Let me, this is good news. And Jesus, in John chapter 10, puts it a different way. He says, I am the door. He says, I am the door. Fun fact, anybody that tells you they read the Bible literally doesn't. Because when we get to heaven, uh, Jesus, we're not going to be shocked to find that Jesus is a door, right? That'd be monumentally disappointing, right? Um, look at my hinges, they're really nice. We don't read the Bible literally, we, we take the Bible at its word, Okay? We believe that it's true. We, 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 we believe what it says. We believe it means what it says. But to say that we take it literally 100% of the time means that we're going to spend eternity in heaven, hopefully worshiping a really nice set of double doors. You know what I'm saying? Jesus says, I am the door in John 10. He says, if anyone enters by me, he or she will be saved. That's right, Frankie, preach. He or she will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. In a world full of closed doors, of doors slammed shut in our face, of disappointment and shame and grief and guilt, Jesus opens a door to heaven and he calls it pasture. He himself is the door to that pasture. And in Christ, we have constant access to the life of the kingdom. Constant. It's not like your cell reception, it goes up and down. Constant five-bar access to the kingdom. We have constant access in Christ to the righteousness and peace and joy. Joy in the midst of sorrow, peace in the midst of incredible anxiety. We have access to that. In Christ, we have constant access to the green pastures of the kingdom. And when I think about pasture, when I think about pasture, I can't 
help but think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When we read Psalm 23, it's kind of like a cute poem in our grandma's bathroom, right? Or we hear it only at funerals, and that's okay. It's okay because it turns out that Psalm 23 is a vision of the kingdom. Psalm 23 is a vision of our Father's kingdom, and it turns out that Jesus has opened a door that causes the goodness and the peace and the righteousness, all of this truth of Psalm 23, to come through the door to us, to infuse our days with what this is talking about. If Psalm 23 is a picture of the kingdom, one of scripture's attempts at helping us understand what life with God is like, we are being told through this door that Jesus has opened that we have access to this all of the time. That the truths of these words are true. They mean something. They speak to us. They can change our lives even when our strength is little. I posted this week on on Facebook Um, something like, it's just been a hard week and I keep hearing hard things. Um, And I heard some hard things for me, but I, I heard some hard things for you that you're walking through and it's just hard and we have little strength. And yet Jesus says, I have opened a door so that the realities of green pasture would mark your moments and your days that would mark the hard thing that you're walking through that this kingdom of my Father would, would infuse and shape the, even the ordinariness of our lives. Psalm 23 tells us exactly what lies on the other side of that door and what is infiltrating our world even now. So a few things about Psalm 23. First, the kingdom is the place where we have everything that we need. The kingdom is the place where we have everything that we need. Jesus says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Translation, I shall not want equals, I have everything that I need. He says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He says, my cup overflows. Jesus has opened a door and through that door is access to everything that we need. And so much of our lives, we sit on the stoop of a door that is closed And we peek through the keyhole and we listen to the party that sounds like it's going on on the other side of the door and we assume that on the other side of that door is something that we need. Money, success, a wife, a husband, a baby, good things often. And we find ourselves lacking that and we find ourselves believing a lie that we do not have enough of this or enough of that, enough money, enough time, enough success. Jesus tells us that we don't need to worry and scrape and strive. Instead, he has opened a door for us and that door gives us access to everything that we need. Church, hear me on this. I love you guys so much and I want you to hear this. There is nothing, like 
the door that you're sitting in front of today, there's nothing on the other side of that door that you need today. There's nothing on the other side of that door today that you need today. Everything that you need today is on, is, is you have access to it. The kingdom is a place where we have all that we need. The kingdom is a place where we do not suffer alone. What was, catch this, I did not say the kingdom is a place we do not suffer. Sorry, wrong church if that's what you're looking for. The kingdom is a place where we do not suffer alone. I have this interesting relationship with a theology of suffering, um, and it's that I really like teaching on suffering a lot, which means I now must, like we now must walk suffering, right? Um, I like talking about suffering better than I like living it. I think we all do. But, but, but hear me on this. The kingdom is a place where we are never alone, even in the midst of our suffering. Because it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Let me translate that. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Scripture does not articulate suffering in terms of if. It articulates it in terms of when. I think, as your pastor, if you know me, I'm trying to like drive that rebar down into your soul. I'm trying to drive that rebar so that it's not like catching you off guard when you suffer, but that you were like, oh, I, I, I had some truth built up in me so that I was ready. And here's the truth. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, do you notice that it's just the shadow of death? It's actually not the valley of death. It's the valley of the shadow of death. We don't fear evil because Christ has conquered death. It is just death's shadow. We never deal with more than a shadow. And that doesn't mean it's not scary and hard and terrible, but it's never more than a shadow. Because on the cross, on Good Friday, all of the evil and death and darkness and sin in the world, this crazy thing happened, it converged on the person of Jesus on the cross and, and they thought they swallowed Jesus up, evil and darkness. And it turns out it was like a snake that swallowed something too big and Jesus came bursting out on the other side. That's Easter. We never deal with more than a shadow. I had a, a, a professor in grad school whose name was Scotty May. Scotty was like this big, this big around, 75 years old, um, seen a lot of suffering in her life. And Scotty went on this trip with undergrads uh, hiking through parts of Canada for like 100 or 120 miles. That like the, but it's the parts of Canada where like only the bears that want to eat you live. Do you know what I mean? Like, we don't go to that part. Like, that's where we drop people and watch reality TV shows cry like babies, Canada. And so Scotty May, 75 years old, and here, fundamental rule of the universe. The smaller a woman is and the older she is, the feistier she is, right? Inverse proportions. So watch that. Um, and Scotty goes on this trip, and it was hard. I mean, they're walking dozens of miles a day, right? And, and she brought a walking stick, and she's walking, and she's reciting Psalm 23 to herself, and she says every day, I will fear no evil, for my rod and my staff, they comfort me. My rod and my staff. And she gets back from the trip, reads Psalm 23, and realizes that she had been reading it wrong, because it doesn't say, my rod and my staff comfort me. It says, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I think this is the first time we've ever quoted King James Version at Regen. It's, a, it's, it's an exciting day, guys. <laughs> The lie that we believe when we're kind of on the outside of this door and we're suffering is that it's kind of up to us, that we are our own protector, that, that we're alone in this. And yet what scripture says, that it's, it says his rod and his staff, they comfort us because he is with us. See, the promise of the kingdom 
isn't insulation from suffering. Listen, if anybody gives you a gospel that says your life will be pain-free, they have never met Jesus, whose life ended in brutal death. Okay? We worship a slain lamb. Jesus still has scars on his hands. Anybody that offers you a gospel that is pain-free is not offering you the gospel that Jesus died for. It is not offering you the gospel Paul preached. It's unrecognizable. It's something else. But our shepherd king walks with us in suffering. The kingdom is the place that through that door comes a shepherd king who does not let us suffer alone and whose promise is that suffering is transformed in the kingdom. Our suffering is transformed in the kingdom. That's an ugly process. It's hard. The kingdom of the pl- is the place where we are led by God. See, another lie that we believe when we're outside the door is that like this series of shut doors in our lives are just God playing games with us. And yet the psalmist says, you lead me. You lead me along paths of righteousness for your namesake. That means our paths are not just this crazy willy-nilly thing. They're paths of righteousness and goodness, even in their darkest moments. We are led. The kingdom is the place where fate and chance and ugliness do not chase us. The, the kingdom is the place where mercy and goodness follow us all the days of our life. Do you know what can outrun failure? Do you know what can outrun shame? Do you know what can outrun anxiety? Do you know what can outrun depression? Goodness and mercy way faster. They outpace. They're like, what's the beep beep thing? Roadrunner. They move fast. The kingdom is a place that we are led. Our, our life isn't just this random series of chances. It is orchestrated, all of it, by a God who loves us and who is with us. And the kingdom is a place where we are invited in. The kingdom is a place where we are invited in. It says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, we don't spend our whole lives sitting on the stoop of a door that won't open. We don't. We don't spend our whole lives sitting on the stoop of a door that won't open. The kingdom is a place where we invite, are invited in to a feast. You prepare a table for me. My cup overflows. In a world of closed doors, we are invited in. Uh, and, and in what would be like, you know, a basic play out of the preacher's handbook, this is where we turn our attention toward the Chronicles of Narnia for a moment. Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, right? Ordinary kids living an ordinary life, but who find this other world. Narnia is infiltrating and infusing their world and overlapping. And so they can be playing one day and hiding in a closet. And at the back of that closet, they can keep walking and come out in a whole other world. Guys, that's the kingdom. The kingdom at hand, the kingdom being near that Jesus promised us means that these, this, that the, the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of our Father are overlapping and interlocking and interfusing with one another such that as the people of Jesus, we kind of live with dual citizenship at all time. That we inhabit somehow both worlds at the same time and, and we don't just have a life where it is all closed doors. There is one door that is always open that we can peek our head into like the kids peek their head into the closet in Narnia and find something totally different and more true and more real and transformative to the ordinariness of our lives. I have opened a door for you that no one will close. We are invited all the time, a standing invitation to see this open door 
to see things coming through it and even to pass through. That's what worship is. That's what communion is. It's a passing through. So much of our lives are marked by closed doors, but I, hear me on this, beloved. Your life is not defined by the closed doors. Your life is not defined by the doors you can't walk through, the doors that won't open. And I know it's so hard. I know that oftentimes we walk up to the door and, and, and it sounds like something really good is happening on the other side of it. And, and we peek through the keyhole and, and we press our ear up against it. We try to budget and to nudge it and when nobody's looking to pick the lock, but our life is not defined by the doors that won't open. Our life is not defined by the doors that never open because it's easy to look back on your life and think, you know, if that door had opened for me then, I would be happier, fuller, more at peace. On the other side, it's, easy, it's sometimes really easy to think, if I hadn't walked through that door like a dummy, I wouldn't have this, this, or this in my life. And so either... Uh, our lives are filled with disappointment at the doors that won't open or shame at the doors that opened and we shouldn't have gone through. And by the way, the love of our Father means that sometimes a door that is staying shut is for your protection and benefit. And he's keeping that door firmly shut because on the other side of that, it's like a joke prize. It's a marriage that's only so-so. It's a, it, it's a purpose that is only so-so. Each of these letters in Revelation kind of ends with these long sections of if you do these things, the one who conquers will, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we've not really explored them. And, and actually the, the letter here, that section basically goes from verse nine to verse 13. Like I will prove that you're the ones that I love. I will protect you from the great time of testing. I am coming soon. Hold on. I will give you a name. You will be citizens. This long section. Here's how Jesus summarizes this in Luke's gospel. Fear not, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, you with little strength. Fear not. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It is your Father's good pleasure to leave a door wide open, a door of grace and goodness and mercy and righteousness and joy and peace. It is his good pleasure to leave that open. There is nothing that you need today that is on the other side of a door that won't open. There is nothing that you need today that is on the other side of a door that won't open. Your failures and your mistakes are not the things that chase you. In fact, what's chasing you is mercy and goodness. And the door that you most need to have open today is open all the time because he has opened for us a door that will not close. Father, you, um, you're always inviting us in. And so, Father, we do pray that your kingdom would come on earth in our lives as it is in heaven. God, we do pray
we do pray that your kingdom would come in our lives, that the goodness and mercy, the love, the peace and the righteousness would come through that door and fill our days. God, would you come find us at the stoops that we're sitting at? And lead us by our hand to the door that stands open always. And you know, y'all, I know like we're still all figuring Jesus out together. And, and so I'm hoping that you're getting a glimpse of this Jesus who loves you and is providing and has opened a way. And so I just invite you to bring your closed doors to him today. Just kind of name that before him right now. Jesus has a better story to tell. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so when the kingdom does come and, and, it, and it shows up and we arrive and the big stuff happens, do you know what happens first is um, we all have dinner together. It's called in the book of Revelation, the marriage supper of the lamb. I don't know about you. I'm from like the Mahoning Valley. Marriage suppers always have cookie tables. You know what I'm saying? Something to look forward to. When the kingdom comes in its fullness, all of these things that are just a taste become a meal. All of the things in our lives that are Sam's Club samples become the whole thing. And even this little sample of bread that we eat every week, this little dipping in the cup, it's just barely a whisper of the fullness that Jesus has for us. It's a taste. It's a portion of the tiniest bit. In the kingdom, when it comes in its fullness, when we all walk through the door for, and stay there forever, we will feast and feast and feast and feast. And cool thing, we won't get grossly stuffed. We'll always be hungry for more and yet always satisfied. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he offered it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this as often as you do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup and when he'd given thanks for it, he offered it to his disciples and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you and for many in forgiveness of sins. It is this cup, it is this blood that poured out that assures that not only does the door open, that it stays open for all of us. So the way that we receive communion together every week at Regen, we do it every week because we're forgetful. Uh, is this, if you have a pulse this morning, you are welcome to the table of Jesus because Jesus' body was broken and his blood was poured out for every human, for you. Uh, you'll, we'll rip off a piece of the bread, we'll hand it to you, you dip it in the cup and taste and see that the Lord is good. If you lose your buddy in there, you lose your, don't go fishing, we'll help, we'll help you out. And again, we wouldn't say it if it hadn't happened, you know what I mean? Um, taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, so, um, um, buddy, come here. You're going to help me do this. And, uh, curveball. 
And uh, Malachi, come here. Um, and yeah, Steph, come help me, would you? We have gluten-free too, so just ask her that. onto that with both hands and come on the other side of Steph with me. All right. Very carefully without spilling. Very good. Okay. And when people dip, what do we say? The blood of Christ shed for you. You got that? Okay. You got that? So you're going to hold that? People are going to dip. You're going to say the blood of Christ shed for you. Okay. You come right here. Father, pour out your gift, your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ that in the eating and drinking of them, we might be the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood, poured out and broken for the whole world. Amen. The table is open. I just love you, and uh, that's just no lion. Um, man, guys, in a world that just wants to shut a door to you, I pray that you would know the door is open, and, that the, and more importantly, you would know the one who opened it. Um, I love you. We're going to start discover your gifts in like 10 minutes or when the pizza comes. Um, and if you kind of find yourself in there, just go ahead and grab a plate and we'll get started. Um, but until then, I love you. We'll see you next time.